Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we ask if we take football too seriously. Football is supposed to be a game that we enjoy and a sport that brings people together. But it's resulted in violence, in deaths, even in a war. We speak to Nigeria striker Odion Igalo, who reflects on how he had death threats aimed at his family after the Super Eagles went out at the group stage of the 2018 World Cup. I can understand them, but taking it to the other, to the level some of them took it to, it's crazy, but... You know, I don't bring myself down to reply all sort of negative comments, you know. Plus a look at the English Premier League as we ask if Manchester United can manage a top four finish now. That's coming up, but first the second round of group stage matches in the 2018-2019 edition of the CAF Champions League are on this weekend. The group stage having kicked off last weekend. Holders Esperance of Tunisia play at home to Zimbabwe's FC Platinum in Group B. Esperance celebrated the club centenary this week, but were also punished by the Confederation of African Football and have to play their next two Champions League home matches behind closed doors with no fans. Esperance were punished for the behaviour of their fans ahead of the second leg of last year's Champions League final against Al Athli. In Group A, the 2017 champions Widad Casablanca of Morocco play away to Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa. Widad had a fabulous 5-2 win last weekend over Asik Mimosas of Ivory Coast. So Asik need a home win over Lobby Stars of Nigeria to get back on track. In Group C, five-time champions TP Mazembe are away to Constantine of Algeria. Constantine did really well to win their opener, 1-0 away to Club African of Tunisia, while TP Mazembe beat Egyptian side Ismaili. And in Group D, Simba of Tanzania aimed to build on a fine start as they won 3-0 over Algeria's JS Suara last weekend. Uh, but uh, Simba have a really difficult game away to AS Vita Club of DR Congo. AS Vita, the 1973 champions and more recently the 2014 runners-up. Uh, JS Suara host Al-Athli of Egypt. So it's going to be a very interesting edition of the Champions League by the looks of it. Now, one of the most famous quotes in football was made by former Liverpool manager Bill Shankly, who coached Liverpool in the 60s and 70s, winning three championships and the UEFA Cup. Shankly once said, Some people believe that football is a matter of life and death. I'm very disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you it's much, much more important than that. Well, this quote has been used many times to show how football is more than just a game to many people. Our favourite club or our national team can represent our identities, our philosophies, our beliefs. Our national pride and our personal pride can be represented by our team. So indeed, football can mean more than life and death in a way to some people. Football has brought great joy to many, and on the other hand, it's brought so much disappointment that it's resulted in violence, in deaths, in a war even. Players have been threatened and even murdered. Some fans have died in accidents and of heart attacks when their teams have won or lost. So on the show today, we're asking, do we take football too seriously? 
Well, after the 2018 FIFA World Cup, Nigeria striker Odion Igalo had death threats aimed at his family. This after the Super Eagles went out at the group stage and Igalo failed to score despite his fine form in qualifying. Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluashina Okaleji spoke to Igalo and asked for his reflections on those threats. Well, I'm a professional. I've been playing professional football for 13 to 14 years now, so I know criticism is part of the of the game, you know. If you're getting paid well and you, you're representing people, you have to accept criticism. So I accept whatever anyone says. But football sometimes doesn't always go the way you want it, you know, but that does not mean you're going to kill yourself. You have to pick up from scratch and continue, which I did after the World Cup. I continued doing what I know how to do best in my club and World Cup is come, has come and gone. Nice to forge ahead and look forward to the future. Did you understand why some of the fans were so violent? Do you understand why? Well, they, they are fans, you know, because they want, your, they want their team to win game, they want you to score as a striker and all that. I can understand them, but taking it to the other, to the level some of them took it to, it's crazy, but, you know, I don't bring myself down to reply or sort of negative comments, you know. Criticize me, fine, but don't go to the extent threatening family, threatening my wife, my kids, threatening my life and all that. So, which I had people on uh, on Instagram and all that, but I didn't pay too much attention to that because I know the same people saying all that if they still see me, they're still going to ask for money. So, I don't bother myself too much about that. I just concentrate, go back to my club and start playing my football. So that's Nigeria striker Odion Igalo speaking to Oluashina Okaleji. And, uh, well, Solomon, that's a key question there where Shina asked Igalo, do you understand why some of the fans were so violent? What do you say about that? Well, for me, Steve, uh, football is not a violent sport from the playground, the pitch, uh, to outside of the pitch into the fans watching this great game. It's never a violent sport, and I could understand that uh, football fans could get emotional sometimes and they could get disappointed because of the way their team lost or how certain players played. But but it's never really the idea. If you look at the history of football, uh, you know, f- football is a game that brings people together and and, and really, you know, put that out. But I, but the Nigerian football fans, I think in the case of uh, Igalo, they went too overboard where you send threats on social media uh, to him and to his family. Uh, you, you cannot just, you know, you know, you cannot just do that. But football is a very emotional game and we understand that. And actually it presents us with a great opportunity to make sure that we don't allow our emotion uh, to push us in making the wrong decisions and getting violent against other football fans, uh, football players or a team being attacked or a certain player being picked out because of his performance. And, and there's always a next time, a next game where they could do better and be able to win games. I now understand football fans, you know, emotions could get high. You are the World Cup, the expectations on the team is high. So you have to consider all that. They're only human. They're not machines. They're not created to be perfect. You know, and once we understand that as football fans, that we know how to take a win very well and we know how to take defeats very well, then we could really seriously eliminate and really bring down the level of violence uh, against football players and against also teams. Because if you go become violent, 
as a football fan against any football player or whatever, it shows that you're out of character. It clearly shows that you have a problem with your character, with your attitude, and you're not just violent against that football player. Maybe you're violent against your friends. Maybe you're violent against your wife. Maybe you're violent against other people, and you get angry. You have problem with anger, maybe. So we really have to check that and allow football to be a tool that would really help and build our character. Yeah, sure, football's supposed to be a positive thing in our lives. Uh, stay with us, Solomon. But, uh, Stuart, let's look at how this has evolved. Um, take the Olympic Games, the founder of the modern-day Olympics, which began in 1896, that's Pierre de Coubertin, said the important thing in the Olympic Games is not to win, but to take part. The important thing in life is not triumph, but the struggle. The essential thing is not to have conquered, but to have fought well. Uh, then we had that Bill Shankly quote in the 1970s uh, where he said, the Liverpool manager, some people believe football is a matter of life and death, and I'm very disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you it's much, much more important than that. And now we've got this multi-billion dollar sporting industry where a missed penalty or a wrong offside decision can cost a team a title that means millions to their finances and a huge amount to their brand. Well, Shankly's comment was a clever line, but I don't think he really meant it. But sadly, there have been occasions when football was literally a matter of life and death. Take Andres Escobar of Colombia, who scored an own goal at the 1994 World Cup. Now, afterwards, he says, life doesn't end here. We have to go on. No matter how difficult, we must stand up. We shall see each other soon because life does not end here. But sadly, a few days later, Escobar was shot and killed outside a restaurant in Colombia. And the unidentified gunman confronted Escobar and shouted at him, thanks for the own goal, and then shot him 12 times, shouting goal, goal, goal with every shot. And I discovered that a total of 58 professional footballers have been murdered. And that includes five Africans. Robert Mensah from Ghana, Victor Halo from Namibia, Chiwanka Nyanka from Zambia, Jeffrey Tutu from South Africa, and Abel Tador, Nigeria. Now, most of the murdered footballers were just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and the death was not related to football. But in the case of Robert Mensah from Ghana, there might be a football connection because he was murdered in 1971 following Ghana's unsuccessful qualifying campaign for the 72 Africa Cup of Nations. And similarly, Abel Tator, the captain of Bielsa United, winners of the Nigerian Premier League in 2009, he was shot hours after his team had won the championship, perhaps by somebody who wasn't happy with that. And I also came across the, the, the accounts of Julius Nota from Slovakia and Alfredo Pacheco from South America, who had both been involved in match-fixing allegations and were murdered soon afterwards. So there may be a connection there. And you know, Steve, there was even something called the football war. That was a brief war between El Salvador and Honduras in 1969. Now, there were existing tensions between the two countries over political things. But when the two had to play each other for a place in the World Cup in 1970, the game actually was only settled after extra time in a third game. And 
rioting and war effectively broke out and about 900 people from El Salvador and 250 soldiers and 2,000 civilians in Honduras lost their lives in a four-day war. But then football at times can unite people. During the First World War on Christmas Day 1914, German and British soldiers put down their weapons, exchanged gifts, and even played a game of football together. And football and politics and issues like that are still with us because Argentina were planning to play their last warm-up game before last year's World Cup against Israel. But the players refused to play, saying uh, we don't want to be used for political purposes, particularly as Israel was staging the game in Jerusalem. You know, Steve, we sometimes say it's only a game. And it's not a phrase I'm very comfortable with because I think football is really important and I love it. But perhaps we do take it too seriously. You know, football in England, sadly, is very tribal with very few people going to enjoy a game rather than to see their team win. In sports like cricket and rugby, it's normal to applaud excellence by any player of either team. But in football, you would never see a Liverpool fan applauding brilliance by Manchester United or vice versa. And perhaps that is a bit sad. Sure. Thanks, Stuart. So Stuart thinking that sometimes we do take football too seriously. Um, What about you, Solomon? Just wrap up on this one. Do you think that we take football too seriously sometimes? No, football is is not just about winning. I think we take it too seriously sometimes. We have to really understand what football is. Football is a it's a game of friendship. It was created for us to create friendship between uh, two teams, eleven players coming together, twenty two players, and the thousands and millions of football fans that are in the stadium watching or at home and you know watching from the TV. It's about enjoying it. It's about really getting to celebrate sport, to celebrate athleticism. And once we begin to get to a place where we take football too seriously, then it becomes a problem because it's not a life or death situation. You get football fans in stadiums fighting. You get somebody getting depressed for two days because his team lost. Come on, don't do that to yourself. You know, football is about friendship. It's about unity of two different teams, two different countries, two different cultures coming together. Let's enjoy the beautiful game. That's why they call it the beautiful game. It's not always the best team that wins. So we have to really look at it and and consider all that because at the end of the day, football would help us build a better society. Yeah, sure. Thanks uh, very much for that, Solomon. So it's uh, just a game, really, or it's supposed to be just a game. And football should have many benefits for us as individuals, uh, as supporters, and as Solomon says, as society as a whole. We'd love to hear your views uh, on this on social media. We're asking, do we take football too seriously? We heard from Nigeria striker Odion Igalo on how he had death threats aimed at his family after last year's World Cup when the Super Eagles went out at the group stage. Uh, Stewart's told us about uh, murders and even a war that uh, has been ignited by football. Uh, Stewart also says that uh, football fans cannot be as sporting as cricket or rugby supporters, for example. Uh, So, our favourite club or our national 
national team can represent our identities, our philosophies, our beliefs, but it is maybe supposed to be a game that we enjoy and a sport that brings people together. So what do you think? Do we take football too seriously sometimes? You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Do we take football too seriously sometimes? Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. I'm Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen to the show on our New Look website, that's planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there too, that's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast, uh, plus interviews that you can read with various sports stars, including Zambia's Pats and Dakar and Cameroon's Collins Fai. Also, there's a pictures and profiles of the Planet Sport Football Africa team in the About Us section on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. Well, now we turn to social media, and when Mohamed Salah won the African Player of the Year award last week, he joined a list of just five other players to have won the award more than once since CAF took over the award in 1992. Samuel Eto and Yaya Toure have won it four times each. Didier Drogba, El Hadji Jouf, and Wanko Kanu have won it twice, and now Salah joins them with two awards. So, last week we asked, can we really place Mohamed Salah up there alongside Didier Drogba, El Hadji Jouf and Wanko Kanu among the all-time greats of African football? Well, on WhatsApp, Julius Caesar Ninibe in Uganda says, I think it's too early. I think Samuel Eto'o is the one to keep on mentioning. And Alfred Bezai in Malawi agrees, saying, I personally think that Salah doesn't belong to that group yet. Let him sustain the same form for two more years, then we'll be able to judge from that. But overall, I think he's in the right direction to achieve that class. And Sumana Sonko in the Gambia believes a lack of trophies so far separates Salah from the other African greats of the past. I think he's yet to be at that level, says Ansumana. He needs to start winning trophies in order to be level with those all-time great African players. He is an exceptional footballer, but a lack of club trophies in his cabinet is something to cause concern. And Modu Joseph Jatta, also in the Gambia, feels even stronger about this. I say a big no-no because Mohamed Salah has yet to win any major trophies for his country or even his past or current clubs, says Modu. He's also yet to make any impact at the African Nations Cup, so Salah has a lot to do yet to be ranked among the African greatest. Patrick Mwamlima in Malawi agrees, saying no. Not so soon, says Patrick. He's won no trophy yet for country or club. He is just a talented guy. To Kenya and Dan Ogega believes Salah has the potential to be among the best, but that he hasn't reached that mark yet. Salah is a great player, but with all due respect, he hasn't been consistent like Drogba and co, for instance, says Salah. His breakthrough was just a year ago. So at the moment, no, but I believe he has a great chance to cement his name among the continent's greats if he can be consistent in the coming years. He's just 26, so why not, says Dan. 
Stanley in Ghana makes the same point about consistency. At this stage, Salah hasn't done half of what the African legends did. All he needs to do is to be consistent to conquer Europe and win the Champions League together with the Premier League and Nations Cup. Then he can be called a legend, says Stanley. We always welcome your views on voice notes on WhatsApp and from the Gambia, here's Ebrima Kante. I believe Mo Salah has performed really well for the past two seasons. And I'm sure he's really a very good player. But players like Drogba, like Yaya Toure, like El Juf, they perform really well. They perform both in their league and in their national side. So I believe Salah still, he has to improve with his national team. That is Egypt. Well, thanks there to Ebrima Kante in the Gambia. Uh, but, on the other hand, many do believe that Salah can already be called one of the all-time African greats. Mam Samba Salah in the Gambia says, yes, he's proved himself in the last three seasons that he is world-class, winning the English Premier League Golden Boot and taking Liverpool to the Champions League final last season. I think he could be rated even more highly if he happens to win the Premier League for Liverpool this season, says Mam. Joseph Adelino in Namibia agrees, saying, yes, obviously we have to list him alongside these other great players, says Joseph. Salah is a great and a hard player. Basaiko Sise in the Gambia also agrees, accrediting the Egyptians' all-round skills. Salah is just a fantastic player. No one can deny that, says Basaiko. Just look at his skills with the ball, his pace and his goal-scoring ability. I consider him the best football player in this generation. To Cameroon and Bime Robertson believes we still haven't seen the best of Salah. Yes, of course, he's a great player, but uh, most importantly, he's still young with room to improve more and more. If injury doesn't ruin his career, he'll be one of the all-time best, says Bime. Obina in Nigeria is in no doubt. Uh, yes, we can place Mo Salah up there with the best, with Drogba and Kanu right now, says Obina. Joachim Mudanga in Uganda also believes Salah deserves his place among the greats. He's really showed great football since he joined Liverpool, where I actually knew him from, says Joachim. But he should be up there with those great footballers. And Rudy in Cameroon also agrees, saying Salah is one of the rare African players to be the top goalscorer in the best league in the world, the Premier League. In the same season, he arrived at Liverpool. And this year, he's still among the top scorers and was among the finalists in the Ballon d'Or. And finally, Sanusi Mane in the Gambia believes that Salah has the potential to go even further and to be the greatest African footballer of all time. Oh yes, Mo Salah can win even more than they did, says Sanusi. He is very gifted. Well, to the English Premier League now and Manchester United play Brighton on Saturday with manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer looking to make it seven wins out of seven since he took over. Uh, now, Stuart, we are still with us uh, in the UK. Uh, Stuart, can United manage a top four finish now with the way that they're playing? Now, the clash between Tottenham and Manchester United last weekend had the added dimension that United are being managed on a temporary basis by Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, while the Tottenham manager, Mauricio Pochettino, is allegedly the favourite to get the Manchester United job on a full-time basis. But with Solskjaer's Manchester United winning six out of six while he's at the helm, people are now saying perhaps he should have the job permanently. And while it was only a 1-0 win, Manchester United were magnificent with virtually every player 
playing better and some would say with more freedom than under Jose Mourinho. Solskjaer is starting with Rashford and Martial up front with Jesse Lingard and Paul Pogba behind them and a really attacking formation. And he's building the team around those four players who ironically were often on the bench under Jose Mourinho. It certainly helped that David De Gea made a record 11 saves in the second half, but Manchester United were worthy winners. And suddenly they're equal on points with Arsenal and only six behind Chelsea, seven behind Tottenham. But they're so full of confidence, you'd expect them to win every game. So I definitely think that a top four position is on the cards. And of course, last weekend's results really set the cat among the pigeons uh, with Tottenham, as I said, losing at home to Manchester United, Arsenal losing to West Ham and Chelsea struggling to beat Newcastle. So if you look at those four teams looking for two places, you'd have to say that Manchester United are the form team at the moment. The top of the table is unchanged, with Liverpool still leading Manchester City by four points. Liverpool struggled to beat Brighton with their Egyptian Mo Salah winning and scoring a penalty, one could say, in their 1-0 win. Manchester City beat Wolves 3-0, but their task was made easier by a red card for Willy Bully, who won the ball cleanly, but caught Silva in his follow-through. And I think that tackle highlights the inconsistencies of referees, the lack of clarity as to what constitutes a red card, given that Bolly won the ball cleanly and did not look out of control. Many people on social media and even in newspapers are pointing out that the tackle seemed identical to the one that Vincent Company made for Manchester City against Liverpool and only got a yellow card. So something needs to be done about this, Steve. Yes, so some cause for concern there. And uh, Stuart, uh, very tight still there at the bottom of the English Premier League. In my preview last week, I commented on how four of the bottom five were playing each other last weekend. Well, Burnley beat Fulham in a bizarre game in which Fulham scored all three goals, two of them, unfortunately, at the wrong end. Cardiff drew nil-nil with Huddersfield and with Southampton beating Leicester, Another win for the Little House for Rabbits. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the Southampton manager, Ralph Hasenhutl, told the media when he was appointed that he had a difficult name, but not to worry, as they could think of him in the English translation as Little House for Rabbits. Well, whatever his name means, he's certainly doing the business. He's moved Southampton out of the bottom three. And with Newcastle losing, they drop into the bottom three along with Fulham and Huddersfield. But Crystal Palace, Burnley, Southampton and Cardiff are all within four points of the drop zone. This coming weekend sees Newcastle at home to Cardiff City, where things are so tight that a Newcastle win would lift them out of the bottom three with Cardiff dropping down. But a Cardiff win would give them a four-point gap on the drop. Following Huddersfield's draw, the club parted company with manager David Wagner after three and a half years. Now, Wagner was a strange choice when he was appointed manager of Huddersfield in November 2016. Born of a German mother and an American father, he grew up in Germany but gained eight caps for the USA. Before becoming Huddersfield manager, he had spent four years as a coach at Borussia Dortmund but not with the first team. When he arrived, Huddersfield were struggling near the bottom of the championship and, in fact, finished 19th in his first season. But remarkably, the following year, they were fifth, reached the playoffs, won the playoffs and got into the Premier League for the first time in 45 years. Strong favourites for relegation, 
they finished 16th in the Premier League. But this season has been a real struggle. Only two wins and 11 points from 22 games. And as we mentioned last week, only 13 goals. In my opinion, the decision to dispense with the services was harsh. But Huddersfield's a small town. And frankly, they don't have the resources of many of the other Premier League clubs. They did incredibly well to get into the Premier League and indeed to survive. Whoever succeeds him, it'll be a real struggle. And I wouldn't give them a great chance of staying. Incidentally, going back to Southampton, their winning goal was scored by Shane Long. And incredibly, the last four goals that Shane Long has scored for Southampton have been scored under different Southampton managers. Not much stability there. I mentioned Fulham scored two on goals. Well, what about Watford's Craig Cathcart, who scored two goals himself at the weekend, one in his own net and one at the other end? Um. See, people in England, and particularly in Leeds, were very sad to hear about the death of Phil Mazinga at the age of 49. He spent two seasons at Leeds United in the 1990s. In his first season, having signed from Mamelodi Sundowns, he played 22 league games and scored five goals. Less successful the next season, but he went on to play six years in Italy. Probably his most memorable game for Leeds was a cup tie where he scored three times in nine minutes. And of course, at that stage, Leeds was a haven for African players with fellow South African Lucas Redibi and the Ghanaian Tony Yaboa at the club. Finally, Steve, I noticed this week, Lionel Messi scored his 400th league goal for Barcelona. He's only the second player in the top leagues of Europe to score 400 goals. The other one was... um. Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo has scored 409 league goals for Manchester United, Real Madrid and Juventus. Messi, of course, has been a one-club player. Yes, and what a pair they are. And uh, so sad indeed to hear about the death of uh, Phil Massinger, the South Africa great. Well, thanks so much, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.